Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership around the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes assisting leaders in identifying disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am really excited that our guest today is Lisa Gable. Lisa's fearless working style has propelled her to the titles of CEO, U.S. Ambassador, U.N. Delegate, Chairman of the Board, and Advisor to Presidents, Governors, and CEOs of Fortune 500 and consumer packaged goods companies worldwide. She's held transformational corporate, board, and advisory positions in D.C., Silicon Valley, and overseas, overseas being we're both located in the U.S., most recently as CEO of FAIR, within a year and a half, the organization received $75 million in commitments to put in place a fiscally and technically qualified team to uplift the outlook for generations of food allergy patients and sufferers. So during today's conversation, Lisa will talk about helping leaders understand when they're at an inflection point, and how to optimize and maximize results for your organization and society's benefits. She's managed several major turning points within her own experience. At FAIR, with food allergy, the organization is at several major inflection points with the first peanut allergy therapy receiving FDA approval, gene editing in agriculture, consumer packaged goods, and artificial intelligence. So our first segment, we're going to talk about what are inflection points, and then we'll move into examples and preparation and advice and Lisa's experience for our listeners. So Lisa, first of all, thank you for joining us. Do you want to tell our listeners anything more about yourself before we jump into the first question? No, I really appreciate being invited, and it's just such an honor to be able to talk to folks about how you can embrace and experience major change. Wonderful. So let's start with what are inflection points? And we're recording this when many of us are in the COVID-19 pandemic, so it'll be released a little bit later. And we're starting to look at going back out into the world a little bit more. So it seems that we are in an inflection point. But would you give us a definition of what that means for you? What it means 
for me is, is when you go through a period of time where you have a major turn in the road, there's something that's spurring on significant change. In some cases, it may be that you've had a flat line related to technological development for a period of time, and all of a sudden something happens. Uh, in the food and beverage space, it was the introduction of new ingredients and new technology that allowed us to really utilize that as a mechanism to drive towards significant change. Where we're at today is obviously one of the biggest inflection points. Nobody was expecting uh, the pandemic. Uh, no one would ever anticipated what we've all gone through. So we actually are almost experiencing multiple inflection points simultaneously. The first is they made us stay all at home. Second is we're, we're resolving how we're going to continue and, and reorganize our organizations in order to adapt to the new normal. And then at some stage, we actually have to go back out in the world and start working again. And how we manage that process is going to enable us to leap our organization forward. And I hope that what we provide today helps other people move forward. Thank you. I hope so, too. And so it seems like there also, especially in the food space, there are a lot of inflection points in the supply chain of food as we're looking at restaurants shutting down, consumers uh, consuming more at home, navigating people having just a discomfort with getting to grocery stores. Uh, My farmer's market, I can't Uh, We have to place orders by Thursday, which I don't always remember to do. It it seems like in that space, it's really a a challenge as well for suppliers and buyers. It absolutely is. And I I know that people have a tendency to to look at the negative, and and I have a tendency to look at the positive. It's very fascinating to watch companies, you know, convert manufacturing lines to whole new different products, you know, whether it's, it's hand sanitizer or masks. And at the same time, watching restaurants and food delivery systems become highly creative in what it is that they provide. Uh, Last night, I was on another podcast with a gentleman who runs this large-scale community service program in Phoenix, Arizona for the underserved. And what he described to me is a process that I swear it sounds like the Chick-fil-A of food banks, where they essentially have a mechanism where people are lined up in their cars, they have an order window, they, they take your unique needs for your family in advance, so by by the time your car gets up there, the thing that you need, and in this case, what I talked to him about is whether or not he could set aside uh, foods that would be uh, would be something that somebody who has a life-threatening food allergy could eat. And so you watch people adapting this things real time. And, and it really is demonstrative of how creative Americans can be, how when we lean in, we can find solutions. And so I find this time to be exciting. I find it to be inspirational. And uh, and the way in which we've adapted to, you know, selling uh, cleaning products and toilet paper in a restaurant, you know, is that going to is that going to stick around for a long time? Probably not. But are there other major changes that we're making for this unique moment in time that will actually define how we behave in the next five years in business? Absolutely. You know, I work a lot with physicians, and what I've heard almost universally, physicians and other organizations, is we were able to implement six to eight years of change in two months. So what we realize is we can do a lot that we never imagined we could. Absolutely. And one reason is that we we relaxed some government barriers to facilitate 
the ability of companies to move agilely and quickly. The other thing that happened, and I was on a conference call with a group of pharmaceutical CEOs, and what was mentioned and what's really inspiring is to watch companies uh, engage in a collaborative effort to find a cure in essentially what's, what we call in the, in the medical industry the pre-competitive space. And that's really something that had been ill-defined before. I've, I've always brought companies together in large-scale coalitions to see where we can upscale our performance together as a group in the pre-competitive space and then, and then leap off into that next inflection point to provide, uh, provide the consumer with something that they need at a, at a more rapid rate and, and also advance the science behind what it is that we provide. But as we watch the pharmaceutical companies engage in this pre-competitive environment and do it in a manner that they're keeping the customer in mind, and that's all of us. We're the ones that need the vaccines, as are their families. It's really been wonderful, and I think it's going to guide how medical companies move products forward to market and move it to the patient much more rapidly in the future. You know, I hope so. That's one of the things I'm hearing is people are coming together in non-traditional ways, and it's also breaking barriers and assumptions about things like telemedicine and how effective it will be, working from home, and are people actually committed to getting the work done? Organizations that had typically resisted some of these technology-enabled solutions don't have a choice, and it in every one I've experienced, aside from the the management challenges that somebody was a poor performer before and they're probably a poor performer working from home or the office. So setting those aside, people have been just shocked at how smoothly these transitions have happened, including folks using telemedicine that are just delighted with the response. And again, I'm sure there were some people who are are having challenges with it. So I'm not saying it's a panacea, but folks are getting treatment, especially in geographically uh, areas outside of cities that might not get the same caliber of treatment without long travel. And in some cases, they don't have the resources to do that. Well, absolutely. And, you know, there, there, we live in a world of rules, and our rules are, are based on, on geographic definition. Uh, because we're in the United States, we have rules that are they're state regulations, um, and some of those do impact health. One of the, the conversations I've had is with people offering therapy or, or a psychologist or psychiatrist. Well, all of a sudden, uh, you have individuals who are fortunate enough to have been able to relocate to a different place. Maybe it's a family home somewhere, or maybe it's the college student coming home that still need those services. In fact, COVID has, has created a, a, you know, a high anxiety society. People are very uncertain, they're very unsettled. And there are a lot of rules around providing therapy across borders. You're not allowed to. There, there are certain restrictions. But the, the relaxation of a lot of restrictions right now are enabling people to not be confined to the geography in which they live. They're able to go out and find solutions wherever those solutions are. And so whether that's your company all of a sudden going, well, heck, it doesn't matter if the person lives in California, my company's in Virginia, because none of us are going to be face-to-face again until January, 
that's that's really unleashes a whole universe of opportunity to you. If you're allowed to, you're a college student and you, and you came home and you want to talk to your therapist and, and you are now allowed to do so uh, multiple times, usually the restrictions on the quantity of times, that's wonderful. Telemedicine, if you if you're a working mom and you're finally coming to ease with with enabling yourself to have your child uh, maybe who's sick for the day, uh, talk to a doctor online and you all can work out what it is that you're supposed to do so you don't have to leave your office, go pick up your child, take them to the doctor, and all of a sudden you've lost a lot of time. Plus, who likes picking their child in when they're sick? Sometimes we kind of know what's wrong with them. We just want some guidance. So I, I think that there are levels of of relaxation that have happened and, and the use of technology and the use of opportunities outside of the geographies in which we live that have opened a lot of doors for people. That's one of the things I'm most excited about. Again, so I'll use a personal example. My mom has Alzheimer's. Now, we happen to have her in an assisted living facility, which I think is, in our case, providing her the best care. Had I had to go back to, I'm living in Ohio, she's in Virginia, so about, depending on how much of the speed limit I break, it can be a six to seven hour drive. Um, If I needed to be there to take care of her or have her here, that would significantly impact the work I'm able to do. If I'm in a place where I can work remotely, the the kind of work from anywhere idea, then people are, again, who are limited by family responsibilities, able to meet those personal responsibilities, and also provide a good living for their, their families at the same time. And in some cases, that wasn't so accessible in the past. No, it absolutely wasn't. And it's learning, you know, people talk about the new normal, and to some degree, they, they speak of, of it as almost a negative. But if we look for the positives within it, all the things that you just outlined about your ability to, to get doctors on the line uh, and speak to them about your mother's care and, and be able to, to monitor her care, and I'm sure that people are upgrading within these facilities mechanisms where you can visually mm-hmm. see how your parent is doing without having to physically go there. It, it's a wonderful thing, and it, and it really provides people with, uh, to some degree, their anxiety is actually lessened. And if we can retain some of the attributes of how we engage with people and interact with people uh, that we have been able to experience over the last eight weeks, um, I think it will give us flexibility. And it also makes people realize that um, that there's so many opportunities out there for them. And and that is, it's empowering, and it does release stress. That We've been so stressed by our time. We've been so stressed by our geography. We, we've been so, uh, we've been trying to control the world so much. And all of a sudden, all control was taken out of our hands. And when you're able to see that you can continue to live your life and you continue to uh, have experiences with your family and care for your loved ones, and that control element that you required goes away, it actually reduces your anxiety. You know, it's an interesting point that you brought about the the ability to see my mother. They now manage Zoom calls. And again, with Alzheimer's, she's not able to manage a computer log on. So we do Zooms every week. I think they're going to be, and that's just a simple personal example. I think the the to your point, there are so many things that we have 
seen as limitations in the past that are loosened. Those membranes may not have been completely abolished, but they are certainly loosened and it opens for businesses, again, not to minimize, a lot of people have suffered. A lot of people are unemployed, about 20%. So, so not taking, not minimizing any of that. But as we come back, it seems like we will have a lot of different opportunities that for many people had been outside of the, the opportunity set. Absolutely. If we just think about the in-office work requirement and perhaps you had a a disability or or some family reason as to why it was difficult for you to be able to commute to a location uh, where you you were very uh, good for the particular job for which they were recruiting, but you were again limited by your geography, I think it's going to allow some people to have business opportunities and work experience opportunities that are more adaptable to the current situation of their life and the current situation of their family life. Uh, And that is one thing that we as employers have absolutely learned over the last eight weeks. Lisa, thank you so much. We're, we're going to go on break now for our for our listeners. I encourage you to think about, we've been talking about what are some of the positive outcomes from this inflection point. So I encourage you to think about during our break, what good thing is now possible for you that was not possible eight weeks ago. Lisa and I will be right back talking about inflection points, how to how to make the best of them. Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are listening to our guest, Lisa Gable and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about managing inflection points, which seems like a perfect topic for us as we're navigating the dramatic changes we're facing across the globe as a result of COVID-19 and the fact that all of the other challenges that we've faced in our, our in some cases, just uh, uh, ge- geological environment, the the kinds of storms and other things we're facing, none of those have gone away. So this is an additional stress. And yet, as Lisa and I were preparing for the conversation today, we were both talking about inflection points we've experienced personally and how we've navigated through those. And in some cases, how it has actually increased our capacity going forward as leaders. So, Lisa, can you give our listeners some examples of your own personal experience? Sure. I mean, I've, I've been through many inflection points. I, I give this little uh, speech about the fact that I, I started my career in the Reagan Defense Department during the Cold War, uh, moved over to the White House when Gorbachev came to visit Reagan. So the, the, the end of the Cold War was obviously one of the biggest inflection points over history. I uh, left the White House to go work for Intel when it was a $1.5 billion company, uh, was part of the Intel Inside team process, which was one of the biggest changes for how consumers engage and buy their, their technology. Later went and worked with the uh, auto industry when, when Toyota and General Motors were fighting over that number one dominance and so got to see, uh, again, a, a major institution go through change and then worked with the food and beverage industry on reducing 6.4 trillion calories in the marketplace by wow. uh, running a commitment of 16 companies to compete on, on calories. And so I've, I've been through a lot of inflection points, I've been through a lot of changes, and, I, and I've learned a lot from that. So how has that impacted you personally? Can you pull out a couple of examples where, it, especially something you may not have been seeking happened to you, so it was a maybe a negative or it, it, what pers- what felt like at the time a loss or an unexpected jolt turned into a real positive? Well, you know, my husband, when my daughter was 10 months old, my husband was diagnosed with a uh, uh, reoccurring malignant thymoma, a malignant tumor. Uh, it went through seven surgeries in, in two years, uh, oh, had goodness. two autoimmune diseases, and what was interesting for me uh, during that time period is I kept moving forward. I had a young child. I had a very sick husband. Uh, I kept moving forward, and I learned to transition to a lifestyle where I didn't have to physically be present in order to have an impact. So if you if you take what I learned in 1998 to 2001 when Jim was the sickest and and during that time period, we obviously had 9-11, so there, there were multiple things going on in the world. Uh, and, and you take it to today, it was easy for me to pivot when everybody said, you're stuck in your home for the next two months, because I'd lived that before. I've been stuck. I, I raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for a political candidate sitting on the telephone at the Stanford Hospital, and no one in that campaign knew that my husband had been in the hospital for a couple of weeks. I just had to keep going. I had to psychologically keep moving forward and having deliverables because that's how I'm I'm wired. So you plop me in the middle of a pandemic and you say, okay, you're running this organization and no one knows when you're ever going to leave your house again. 
all of a sudden, all of those gears, all of that decision-making pattern that I put into play 20 years ago came back this time around. And I started instituting some of the same thought processes as how I would solve the problems for my organization. So even through the worst of times, it sounds like, so let me synthesize this a a little bit. One, your innate characteristic of, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to find creative solutions and I'm going to take care of my family and my clients. That sounds like it was the biggest testing point. While you may have always been that way, it really tested your capacity. Is that true? Absolutely. And it made me be creative. I I all of a sudden had to step out of the workforce and I'm a pretty type A personality has some pretty big goals in my life. And so I converted into sitting on some boards and, and went and really sought out some very prominent boards where I could engage every quarter. And I could maintain a level of of influence in society to help drive change, but I didn't have to be in an office every day. When he was better and I could go back to working full-time and my daughter was in elementary school, I was able to take those credentials and use those to to move back into the workforce without without missing a beat. But what I also learned is I learned uh, that you have to hire really smart people and, and that the team with which you surround yourself during a time of crisis That's the most critical thing. You want people that are always going to look for opportunity to partner with other people. You want people who can run really fast. You want people that you can depend on. You find your team, and I find myself bringing that same team into play every single time I'm going through dramatic change. You know, the team piece is one that that I have found because I've also been through a few bumps and having people around me who are not only competent, but positive and constructive, who just have a view of we're going to get through this. And to your point, be creative. They're willing to try new things. There's not an expectation that we're going to get perfect, but we're going to get it done. A strong commitment to getting Absolutely. done at the best of our abilities and and the kind of no whining, no, no nitpicking rule. I thought it was about having people who were smart around me, but smart whiners and complainers do not get it done. Well, it's funny you say smart because to me it's street smarts. Uh, I had an opportunity to work for Craig Barrett, uh, who later became the CEO and chairman of the board of Intel Corporation. I worked for Craig when he was uh, when he was SVP of Intel back in the early '90s, and he said, "You want to be surrounded by smart people." Well, Intel is filled with smart people, right? You're you're in Silicon yeah. Valley with all these engineers, et cetera. But what pregnant is you want to you want to hire street smart people. You need them to be intellectually smart because obviously we're doing complex projects, but they have to be street smart. They have to make really fast decisions. They have to take their ideas and they have to explain them to people what needs to be done next on a napkin. In fact, he never wanted more than three bullets on a napkin because your ability to quickly process information, look at the variables, have Take life's experiences, use those to guide the next solution set. That's how you move quickly. And so it's those adaptable people who can operate with agility and can flash through the variables in their head pretty quickly. Those are the people you want on your team. 
So it sounds like systems thinkers and and emotionally mature so that I'm aware of when I'm uncomfortable, I manage my discomfort. I don't have an expectation of being perfect. And we talk about it as the mind of a scientist. I know how to formulate a hypothesis. I can create a good experiment. I can run the experiment and I can learn. And learning from my experiences doesn't make me defective. It makes me a good scientist. It does, and you need to have fun while you're doing it. Well, you need to yeah. laugh at yourself. People who take themselves too seriously and who are devastated when they fail, failure's the only way we learn. I mean, you look at any great scientist, you look at any, uh, you know, look, everybody has talked about Abraham Lincoln. You know, look at Ronald Reagan. Failure is for a person who fails and can, and can assess why it was they weren't successful this time, but they still have the drive to succeed the next time. And then they take that intellectual capacity that you just outlined and they apply it to how am I going to move this thing forward today because we cannot slow down. Those are people that I want to surround myself with. Same. And I would add that the other one that is just this positive can do, you talked about it, I won't be stopped. Kind of, I don't know if we call it necessarily competitive because I, uber competitive is not always helpful, but that just positive, I, I'm not willing to fail. I'm willing to make plenty of mistakes, but I won't, I'm not going to give up. Right. It's that not giving up part. It's, it's not, you know, it's funny. I hate board games because to me, like, why fight over a game or even sports I'm not good at because I'm like, well, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Uh, but the things yeah. that matter to me, then, then I'm gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna slow down. And what matters to me is taking care of the people around me, because ultimately, I have an obligation. We have an obligation to our shareholders. We have an obligation to our customers. We have an obligation to our team members. If I have an obligation to my family, if I give up, what happens to all of them? I mean, yeah. that's that's you know that's that's why it's it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the people that you have brought into your life and your, your interdependability and your interoperability with those people. You know, interdependence is one of my uh, favorite words probably right now. And this idea, especially again during a, a pandemic, that people across the world are impacted by this virus and people across the world will help solve this difficult situation. The the vaccines will come from cooperation globally. The cures will come from cooperation globally. Not leveraging those connections or, or drawing artificial barriers by company names that you talked about earlier or geographies, whether it's states to federal or countries because we don't like something about either their politics or, or their trade barriers. All of those slow down the solution, and it costs lives. They do, and it, exactly. And you know, I am a, I am, I'm much more of a, a free market person in the way I think, and so I, I think about the invisible hand, you know, and Adam Smith, mm-hmm. and 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 how we have seen. I mean, truly, when you see, you know, someone converting a liquor line of, you know, whatever distillery yep. into a hand sanitizer company. It, it, government's not going to think of that. Like, like this, this, and and somebody reaching out to the to their buddy who they that was a scientist that maybe they studied with thirty years ago who lives in Israel now and is part of some consortium. I'm watching people think through 
You're watching the invisible hand as as restaurants and as companies recraft themselves in manners that no one would ever have anticipated. Simultaneously, you're watching people go through their LinkedIn and go, I've got to solve this problem. problem. Oh, my God, there was that person I knew 15 years ago, and he or she was so smart on this particular thing. You go into LinkedIn, you send them a message, and all of a sudden, you you had this cross-border uh problem-solving experience going on. And that's what I'm watching. You know, it's I, I'm not in the space exactly of these vaccines, but because I'm, I'm currently in a space where I'm working with uh, therapies and diagnostics, I am watching the relationships that people are tapping into all over the world. Uh, even when we were getting PPD, I remember at the very beginning of this, all of a sudden I got pulled in with a bunch of ex-Bush people to try and, and get uh, products to the hospitals, and so I was I was trying to help the hospitals who are part of our fair clinical network, who you know are in New York City and some other places that were under siege. And it was crazy how people I hadn't talked to for 15 years from the Bush administration were all on the phone with each other, and we found masks through this connection, and we found you know PPE through that connection, and somebody's had a donor who was going to rent an airplane, or and he was just going to take the airplane and take it from point A to point B, so. We didn't even have to, you know, he's parking almost next door to the hospital. That's the level of creativity, and no government could actually have ever dreamed it up. Yeah, I am a fan of the the cross-sector collaboration, because there are places that the government does have a role that is uniquely government, and other places where business has a role and somewhere where the where the working jointly will create the best outcome. Absolutely. And we saw that when I was working on the obesity issues in public health. I had a partnership with 16 food and beverage companies, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the CDC, mm-hmm. the White House. And, uh, you know, watching public health officials and companies come together uh, over an eight-year period of time doing this transformation of the food supply where each each of them had a role and each of those roles were defined. And they were, they were so important from a government perspective, from a public health perspective perspective and and from a market perspective and watching us come up with a plan it was really tough during the first year of it was fighting back and forth because we didn't know how to work to each together and once we got into the groove once we developed the process once we developed outcomes that we all agreed on it was stunning to see the public and the private sector in these key influencers in the public health arena uh, at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation bring about this massive market transformation it seems like it comes, and I know there are a million working parts, but really good people who want to make an impact that's aligned. Absolutely. One thing I always tell people in politics is that I don't care which party you're in. I care whether or not you want to get something done. And and the people, when I've, when I've had cross, I've, I've had the fortune of working for both Republicans and Democrats, um, and, and and what I've discovered is, you know, it gets back to finding smart people who want to get stuff done. It's really the person and their attitude towards life and how they problem solve. It's not their politics. 
It's not where mm-hmm. they are in an institution. It's about taking all those bright minds that want to accomplish something, and you find people who work the same way you do, and you just run very quickly toward the goal. And we're seeing that today. I mean, we're absolutely seeing that today with NIAID, who who's just done an amazing job uh, with uh, with the with the companies uh, who are working again with their peers all over the world. Uh, it, it's it's been it's been really wonderful to watch. You know, it is heartening to hear of the successes because often on the news we we see the challenges. To hear what's happening behind the scenes to enable us to go forward. Absolutely. And one thing I've done is shared with people, uh, the Milken Institute has a tracker. And if anybody's listening, and I know it'll be many, many months down the road when this posts, but the Milken tracker goes on for pages showing the number of innovations that are being worked on both in the public and the private sector to bring these vaccines and therapies uh, to uh, around COVID. And What's going to be wonderful about that is, yeah, this is being done for COVID right now, and it's pages and pages and pages, and nobody talks about that. But we know the science we learned today is going to help us solve other problems. There might be something that works for something that's actually going to solve three other medical problems, and that's what's exciting when you see the amount. So I think we'll actually have a boom uh, in, in our solution sets uh, because of the way in which people have not only worked together, but the amount of science that's been done so rapidly that could benefit all of us with, with other types of diseases. So on that note, because that is very uplifting, this is Maureen Metcalf and Lisa Gable, and we're talking about managing inflection points. And so I encourage our listeners at this during this break to think about What are you seeing, hearing, or participating in that will have a longer-term impact in your organization or in your community or just in your family? Because that is, those are the people we care most about. We'll be right back. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You are listening to Lisa Gable and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about managing inflection points. So during the break, Lisa and I were talking a little bit, and it was about limits. So Lisa, what were you, would you share with our listeners the conversation about limits? Sure. I, I, I set no limits for myself, and I will do crazy things to adapt, and having done it enough times, whether it's the fact that I have to relocate to a different city for six months, and or if I have to move someplace for three months or, or three years, you know, where, wherever there's that job opportunity, I would pursue it. And, you know, I luckily had a very, uh, a family who was willing to live with this. I, I, I was living part-time in Japan while my family was living here. We used frequent flyer points to make sure the entire family could come live with me in Japan because that was not included in the package that I had. Um, you know, if you if you let yourself be limited by the geography in which you live or if you feel like, I can't leave this place because uh, I'll, I'll, my friends won't be there when I come back, having, having lived a, a rather vagabond lifestyle for the last 35 years, as people are facing a hard time looking for jobs, I really want people to think about exploring opportunities that you would never have considered before because life is like a soap opera. You leave a place, when you come back to it, they may be married to different people, their children may be older, but all the same people are there. We can actually leave, go follow the job, and we can come back. And the place I learned that was reading Little House on the Prairie as a little girl. You know, if you think about how many times Pa and his best friend got up and they moved to a different state when Ma and Laura stayed in the in the prairie and, and kept working the farm. We need to have that attitude now because it's going to be tough if you limit yourself to what is geographically near you. Well, and this is where, especially we talked about the work from anywhere. I've worked as a consultant for the last 32 years where we, part of it is the work from home thing that, that I get on an airplane or I did for 12 years, almost every week. And it was it had its own set of challenges and it also had some beautiful positive outcomes in that I got to work around the world I got to work with some amazingly interesting and diverse people and the limit of geography as you've said just isn't one that I see the the inability to go to a different country I don't see those. Lim- I, I see the length of the airline flight and wonder if I'm going to sleep comfortably or stay up and watch movies or or get worked on. But that's the limitation. Or will I be able to navigate uh, driving on the the other side of the street? I mean, the the tangible distinctions, but those limitations of I can't do it because don't seem to exist for me in the way that people who haven't been forced to overcome them. You know, it's not that I never had them. It's just that I don't have them anymore. Absolutely. And you know where I, I learned that there were no limits is my sister and I used to do two international trips a year, and we would literally show up in airports with no plans, no reservations, and we would figure out what we were going to do. And pre-9-11, you could actually stand in the airport and buy tickets to different places without without issue. You could actually buy other people's tickets in certain countries, which is crazy to think about now. And, um, and so Michelle and I planned every vacation 
figuring it out on the fly. We'd be sitting in Thailand going, oh, gee whiz, it's raining. Hey, how's the weather going in India? Do you think that we could buy a ticket and go to India tomorrow? And what we realized was one thing. In almost every airport in the world, there is this area where they have a list of the hotels. And I literally, at the age of 24, showed up in Bangkok. My mother died when I told her this story at midnight with no hotel, walked up to one of those banks, found a hotel that I could afford. It was $40 a night. I will not even begin to tell you where it was. Uh, and uh, and that was the start of my Bangkok adventure at the age of 24 by myself because I bought someone else's ticket and used their ticket to go to Bangkok. They called me two hours before the flight and said they couldn't use it and would I like it. But if you, if you, if you approach life knowing that you actually can work your way out of a box, that's the first step. Putting yourself to little challenges. Maybe you don't have to go to Bangkok and show up at midnight, but but just challenge yourself. Yeah, I ended up going. Mine was mine was not a Bangkok story. It was a Mardi Gras story. I was going with my female boss, and she canceled at the last minute. Something came up, and so I was thinking, you know, I, here I am. We're staying at the airport. That's way too far away, and I'm going to be by myself, and that doesn't sound like fun. So I met someone on the plane and ended up staying with he and his family and several other people at their house. Turns out, two of the people who were also guests in their home were friends of my friends. It just, and I also don't advise people to get in cars with strangers. Uh, as we were <laughs> driving to his house, I was imagining swimming through a swamp with my rollerboard and, you know, in my little suit and pumps. Uh, so, so I would maybe check people out a little more carefully than I did at the time. But, but this was also a point where the world seemed a little safer. Well, absolutely. But even during the last two months, I mean, one of the things I told my team is, you know, we are going to reimagine this from scratch. Like, just just, your 2020 objectives, you have to meet them, but the way in which you meet them is going to be really, really different. Look for the opportunity that's in front of us. Find that kernel of a concept from some crazy place. I mean, I was looking at spy novels, science fiction, murder mysteries, coming up with ideas of, of things that went on in the plot and, and really just expanding the fact that we could solve our problems in very unexpected ways and we could be very, uh, very innovative. Uh, but, but really what they knew is there was no right or wrong. We were going to take reimagination to a whole new level. And, um, and I think that will strengthen the organization and it will actually leap us forward about three years beyond where we would have been if COVID hadn't happened. So let's shift then to advice we have for others. And one of the things I just heard in, well, it wasn't the words you used, is the idea of creating an organization with psychological safety, that people are able and in fact required to be creative and drawing from the the broader conversation that we've had, they, we expect them to reimagine. It's not okay to come back with the, the old solutions. In fact, we expect you to break barriers. You are safe to do that. We expect you to try and make mistakes. All of those things are now part of the expectation. And they, in many organizations, those were not allowed before. Absolutely. We, we used to use the term, oh, all ideas are on the table. And then you'd sit there and shoot people down in the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so you know, people really, as you say, psychologically safe. They really need to know all ideas are on the table. Some ideas are, are way too crazy, and we really appreciate your contributing those. And could you just put that in the bin list for maybe next month's conversation? Uh, but, but, you know, the reality is 
I, I almost, I, I always tell people two things. I say, if you could wave your magic wand, if you could just wave your magic wand, what would you want to see? And the second thing is, if you burned it down to the ground, how would you rebuild it? And, and once people accept the fact that you are honest in asking them those two questions and sharing what they really think and sharing their, their craziest idea, then people can move forward. And, and you really have to do that. You, you can't, you almost have to, in your mind, burn it to the ground. And, and maybe you're not going to do that in reality. It's not as if you're going to completely restructure your entire organization. And, and no one should be fearful that's what you're doing. But it's hard to move into the next phase of conversation if you're literally not looking at it from ground zero. That if you were walking in the door today and someone was asking you to design this business, how would you design it? You wouldn't design it the way it is today because right now that's not working. So how would you have done mm-hmm. it? If you wave your magic wand, what would you want to see? So more into the design thinking kind of construct. And, you know, the other right. thing I hear is if I presume that I can criticize what is, I'm not criticizing the people who created it. It's that the world has changed since we created this, and we need to now implement different solutions uh, without having it it be a a negative about my boss or my colleague or someone else. Because I think we do get worried about the, the message when we criticize. I think we do. You know, it's interesting because with, I learned a lot at Intel. I, you know, I always say that the working in, in the Reagan White House and Intel taught me everything I know in life. And in Intel, people people may know Andy Grove. You know, had a had a big temper. He was kind of scary. I was, I was like twenty five years old, and he'd be yelling at you in this Hungarian accent. Um, but what you learned at Intel is this concept of disagree and commit. And people at Intel would go into a conference room and they would battle it out. They would battle it out. Like there was just no, no limits to what they were going to say to each other. But everyone knew that the agreement at the company is that when you walked out the door, you disagreed and you committed. If you, if you didn't agree with the, with whatever the decision was, you still committed to it. And it removed this whole aspect of passive aggressiveness that goes on through these types of situations or gaming that goes on. And I don't really tolerate gaming. I I prefer that people just honestly let it all out and they disagree, they commit, we walk out, we get it done. Well, and it is setting, again, the cultural norms for how do we make that happen. So let's move into what advice do you have for others? And it sounds like one is find a way to have those conversations. Because for some people, it's incredibly uncomfortable. But it's still it required. Is. My other, it is still required. And you have to be diplomatic. Look, I mean, it's, it's funny because I'm an extremely proper individual. You know, I've, I've been told I've been, I'm, I can be dignified. It was uncomfortable <laughs> for me watching that level of dynamic at the age of 24. I mean, the, the Reagan White House was, was fairly refined. And then all of a sudden, I'm thrown in with all these engineers and somebody with a heavy Hungarian accent that's yelling at me. Um, but once I learned the, the elements within that and became comfortable, and it has to be respectful. You can't be rude and mean yeah. to people. Uh, but but you you have to accept that you've, you've got to be able to work it all out and people can't be offended and people can't go off and talk about it afterwards. It's not personal. I think that's the point is this is not personal. 
it's business. And, and what I see when we have problems is people take inputs and they take, they, they take business development or, or personal development conversations in a personal way and their feelings get hurt. It, it, it's about growth. And, and mm-hmm. it's presented to the individual as a growth opportunity or presented to the group as a growth opportunity. You can depersonalize it and take away the, the, the part that would make you hate coming into work every day and curling up on the floor of your closet, refusing to get dressed. I love that word, depersonalize, that, that if I make a recommendation, and you and I did this before the call, how do we want to work? And there was no well, if you do that, you're dumb. It's just had what would be best for the outcome of our listeners. And it's not personal. It's not personal. I think the other thing people need to learn is how to zigzag. You know, I've, I've shared my personal story of what went on with my husband. And my, my husband has had uh, eight uh, incidences of, of having to seek cancer treatment. And I, I don't think that's wow. apparent on my resume, yet at the same time, when you look at my resume, I can explain how I zigzagged and how I made decisions that I would never have made before because of the constraints under which we were operating. And for both my husband and I, when we when we look at all that he has gone through and I have gone through, and yes, we, we could have stayed, we're currently in Virginia, we were in Silicon Valley when we got married, um, we could have stayed in Silicon Valley and we could anticipate based on where our friends ended up what our careers would have been. But our careers have been so much more interesting because we've had to zigzag. We've had to pursue opportunities in new business categories outside of high tech. And we had to learn something new and we had to take two steps back before we could move four steps forward. And and as a result of the interesting way we've had to manage our life around his illness, we have had the most amazing life. We, we really have. And, and so people should learn to zigzag, recognizing it's actually going to open up more possibilities to you that could, could make you more fulfilled in the long run. As you say that, it, it strikes me, I lost a job uh, during the, the utilities collapse, the Enron issue. I was in the utilities practice at, uh, at the time, Accenture, the old Anderson Consulting, and I was terribly disappointed. I took it incredibly personally, felt like I was a failure. And once I was able to get over that, that loss opened up some amazing possibilities to me. And it was through the navigating of all my own personal issues and sense of failure that I became much stronger and really led me to the business I'm doing right now. So we have about three minutes left. Anything you want our listeners to take away? What the pandemic has showed us is life is unpredictable. And and as I said at one point, I, I have actually, it's really bothered me greatly the degree to which people have lost hope. And the, over the last number of years, and the and the my my daughter's a college student, and the and the level of anxiety that these kids lived with, and and I watch parents who've tried so hard to control their kids' lives, and they felt this great importance to make sure it was the right school and the right next step and the right set of friends, and we we became so controlling of our lives over the last ten years that we became a very anxious and unhappy society. And, and what this has demonstrated to us is that, that we don't have control. Um, you know, I, I think there's a Yiddish statement uh, saying that says, God, uh, you know, man plans and God laughs. And, mm-hmm. and I never really understood that. 
until today because we uh, we you know I I I worked in, in national security so yeah we thought about bioweapons and bioterror and you know EMPs and we we thought about all the bad things that could possibly happen to us but what's happened today no one anticipated and as we move forward back into life stop trying to control everything take advantage of the moment in time set your goals move towards your goals take the wins when you can get them and know that life is not over if something else bad happens that you will succeed because guess what you're going to do it again and that's what life is all about lisa thank you that's a brilliant wrap-up you have like five seconds to give people your contact information uh, you can find me at FAIR, which is foodallergy.org. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, and feel free to connect with me. I'd, I'd love uh, to have that connection, but foodallergy.org is where I live today as CEO of FAIR, uh, which is the largest research entity for life-threatening food allergies. Thank you so much, and thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope that you are able to join us again next time. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.